So, Jeff, I've summoned you here because there is a trade that is being talked about across all of baseball that is unprecedented that nobody has ever seen in a sport that has existed for over a century. And the guy at the center of it is Juan Soto, a guy that you know well, a guy you've profiled on this show before. And I just need you to explain for people who don't know him as well, how good is he exactly? Juan Soto, Pablo, is... Kevin Durant. Soto, right field. See you later. Soto. This ball is destroyed. Wow. Juan Soto is Patrick Mahomes. This ball is crushed. Bang! Zoom goes Juan Soto. He is young. He is so preternaturally talented, so incredible at all facets of the game, but especially at the most important for an offensive player, which is hitting the baseball, hitting it really hard, having an incredible eye at the plate. He is everything you want in a young hitter, Mm. and he's only 23 years old. I'm going to throw a comparison out for Juan Soto, and... Call me a blasphemer. Call me whatever you want. Juan Soto is Ted Williams. Damn. And so the price, Jeff, the price for a 23-year-old Ted Williams, how would you describe what the cost might be here? I'm going to use the words of a general manager with whom I spoke minutes after Juan Soto turned down a not just record contract for Major League Baseball, but a contract extension offer from the Washington Nationals, Pablo, that would have made him the highest guaranteed money paid player in North American professional sports history. (laughs) I said to this general manager, what is it going to take to get Juan Soto? And his answer was, it's going to be a Herschel Walker trade. And if you have any knowledge of football history, the package that Herschel Walker was traded for was the single greatest package in the history of sports and one that spawned the Dallas Cowboys dynasty of the 1990s. Right. And so that's what the Washington Nationals are hoping for here if, in fact, they do decide to move him, that they're going to be able to put their franchise for the next decade in a far better position than it is now on the strength of this one deal alone. In other words, Jeff, the price for Juan Soto is pretty much everything. As it should be. The MLB trade deadline is one week away exactly. And right now, everyone is trying to win a prize that is pretty much never up for bids. But acquiring Juan Soto, the crown jewel of the Washington Nationals, is even more complicated than it looks. Because this story isn't just about a generational slugger with two and a half years left on his contract. It is also about a billionaire who is about to sell what is currently the worst team in baseball. And also the most feared agent in the game. So today, Jeff Passan tells us about a young superstar that he knows as well as anybody. And the race to make Juan Soto the first half-a-billion-dollar athlete in North American sports. Hi, Pablo Torre. It is Tuesday, July 26th. 
This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Jeff, we've established that Juan Soto is is the splendid splinter reincarnate. He is somebody who is just historically special and historically valuable. So I just need you to make this make sense for me. How the hell did we get here? We got here, Pablo, in a couple of ways. And this story starts back in 2018. Juan Soto was 19 years old. He had missed most of the previous season because of injuries, and he started in low A that year. And he proved himself too good for low A, like within a matter of weeks. He played 16 (laughs) games there, hit 373. So the Nationals were like, okay, this guy's too good for low A. Let's bump him up to high A. Well, he played 15 games there and hit 371, and the Nationals bumped him up to double A, only 19 years old. And he had played eight games at double A, had an OPS of 981, and the Nationals just had this rotten stretch of luck when it came to injuries among their outfielders. The Nationals were scrambling, and they thought to themselves, okay, well, we'll call the kid up and give him a shot. Here we go. The youngster has a chance to do some damage in his first start. Soto, long ball to left. See you later. First pitch, first homer, first RBIs. Guess what, Juan? You're playing tomorrow. Juan Soto proceeded to spend 116 games in the big leagues that season, hit 292 with a 406 on base percentage, a 517 slugging <laughs> percentage. He was everything that you could ever want from a 19 year old. And you flash forward to now, you know, four years later, he's only 23 years old still, but he's getting close to free agency. And the Nationals thought, we want to build our franchise around him. And so in the offseason, they offered him a contract for $375 million. And he said no. And this was more than Fernando Tatis Jr. got paid. This was more than Francisco Lindor. This was an exorbitant amount of money. So the Nationals bumped their offer to 15 years and four hundred forty million dollars. Yeah, was more than Mike Trout's four hundred twenty-six and a half million dollars. It's more than no. any NBA player, <laughs> yeah. any NFL quarterback. It's more than the GDP of Micronesia. It, uh, of course, it is. And we're at a point here, though, where that kind of a number is understandably not good enough. Or how would you describe the decision of Juan Soto to look at that as, as if he's at the plate and just let that offer pass by? Which he would do shuffling and staring down the pitcher. And that's exactly (laughs) what he did in this instance, Pablo. He saw something that 
for every other player in, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I think every other player in baseball would have been motivated to take this because the sheer size of the offer, right. the, the sheer number, $440 million. It's mind-boggling. It, it should, in theory, be enough. But Juan Soto and his agent, Scott Boris, looked at it like, well, Max Scherzer, his former teammate with the Nationals, is making $43 million a year on his current three-year contract with the New York Mets. And you're going to come and offer Juan Soto less than $30 million a year? The temerity <laughs> to do so. The 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 a, a, the outright shame of this team. How dare you? How dare you offer me an average annual value of $29.3 million? How dare you? Making $30 million a year seems like a pretty good living. But Juan Soto has a number in mind. And that number is 500. Mm. He would like to be the first $500 million athlete in North American professional sports history. Man. And there's a pretty good argument in favor of making him that. We're getting to the Facebook social network territory of all of this, Jeff. We're just the numbers as a matter of both value and a matter of ego all factor into this, it seems. And what's Extra kind of funny to me as somebody who has no emotional stake in the Nationals specifically is that they were seemingly like against the entire concept, right, of getting rid of this guy in the first place. Why would they ever trade him? Major League Baseball teams, NFL teams, NBA teams, NHL teams, soccer teams, every single sport You dream of developing a player like Juan Soto. He's the sort of guy who you want to keep around forever. Yes, it's the point. It's the point of drafting. The point of having a draft is to get somebody like this kid. They had signed Juan Soto out of the Dominican Republic as a 16-year-old. There was a story that Johnny DePuglia, who was the international scouting director for the Nationals, told me for the profile I wrote of Juan Soto about a year ago, where he was showcasing down in Miami. And the Nationals had been on him for a while, and they understood that if any other team saw Juan Soto, they were going to try and sign him because they were going to see what the Nationals had seen already, that this was a kid who had a unique ability not just to hit the baseball, but to see it coming out of a pitcher's hand and recognize whether it was going to be in a strike zone or not. And then on top of that, to have the swing decision capacity to stop himself when that ball was going to feather even an inch or two inside, outside, up or down. His ability to control the zone was beyond what Johnny DePuglia, who's been in this business for decades, had ever seen in a kid that age. And so he spirited him into a room back in the outfield and came to a deal right there and locked him in. Juan Soto was supposed to be a Washington National forever. And now here we are, July 26, 2022. And it is looking more likely than not that he is not going to be a Washington National when the trade deadline comes a week from today. 
So how do we go, Jeff, from June 1st, where the GM of the team, Mike Rizzo, was saying, we are not trading Juan Soto. We are not trading Juan Soto. We made it clear to his agent and to the player. We have every intention of building this uh, this team around Juan Soto. How do we go from that to where we are now? Like, why aren't the Nationals paying up for a guy of this caliber? Because I think they see $440 million pretty good offer and they believe that if he's not going to sign for 440 he's probably not going to sign for anything and you could make the argument that hey if you're paying 440 what's another 60 million dollars and there there is of course that possibility that between now and august 2nd at 6 p.m at the trade deadline that the nationals do come to that same conclusion that we don't want to lose juan soto we want to build around him But there are a number of complicating factors here beyond just the money. And the foremost among them, Pablo, is the fact that the Washington Nationals right now are being sold. Mm. The Lerner family has put them up for sale. They're going to go for multiple billions of dollars. And they want to extract as much value of him as they can before he reaches free agency. And the easiest way to do that is to trade him sooner than later. But just to clarify here, Jeff, right? Because the Lerner family, when they sell this team to some billionaire out there, do you think that hypothetical buyer is going to want Juan Soto traded before they acquire the team? Or do you think they're going to want Juan Soto on the roster when they complete this purchase? Well, you can look at this two different ways. And the way that I was initially looking at it is that anybody who's going to come in and own this team maybe he or she wants first right of refusal, right? Like, okay, Mm. we're going to make another run at Juan Soto. We're going to try to sign him. We're going to give our best college try. We're going to do everything we can to show this new fan base that we're serious, we're involved, that, that we are such a big part of this and we are so committed that we're going to offer even more than the previous owner did. And if he turns it down at that point, well, then maybe everyone will understand. But the more I've been talking to people, the more they've presented this calculus, which is that, do you want to be the owner whose first move was to trade a guy who may go down as one of the greatest hitters in baseball history? Mm. Is that really how you want to start your stewardship of the franchise? Or do you want to inherit a team that, yes, has some bad contracts, but does have financial flexibility, particularly if you're not tying up $440 million into a guy like Juan Soto? And you can take that financial flexibility and all of the great prospects and young players that you got in a trade for him and try and build something new, try and go with a fresh start. And that seems to be the prevailing theory at this point, which is why people around baseball feel that it's likelier he moves before or on August 2nd than, say, this offseason. Interesting. The inevitability at this point, everyone believes, is that Juan Soto is going to move on from Washington. Wow. Okay, so basically, a new hypothetical owner would want to have the previous owner lose the press conference so that they can come in with that lowered bar and win theirs. Bingo. So, So, Jeff, like... 23-year-old Ted Williams has two and a half years of control left. And that is another thing that makes all of this, like, pretty mind-blowing, right? Like, when you look at comps for this kind of a trade, the trade that we all assume now, per your reporting, is more likely than not. 
What are the comparisons inside of baseball itself? There really aren't any. I mean, this is a unique potential deal in every sense of the word because we have never seen anything like this before. I mean, Buster Olney, my colleague, suggested the closest analog to this is Babe Ruth being sold from the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees more than 100 years ago. Maybe the closest thing that we've seen is the 2007 trade of Miguel Cabrera from the Florida Marlins to the Detroit Tigers. The return on that was six players, two of whom, Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller, were seen among the top 10 prospects in baseball at the time. And the rest of them really didn't work out. And Andrew Miller wasn't very good in in Miami. And Cameron Mabin bounced around for quite a few years, but never became a star. And Look, that's the that's the worst case scenario for the Nationals here, right? Mm. If you're going to trade Juan Soto, you almost need someone who's guaranteed. And the players that are being talked about and considered right now by the teams that are in it, well, the four favorites that are in it at this point are all contending teams. So the idea that they're going to go pillage their major league roster in order to get a guy like Juan Soto just isn't particularly realistic because they're looking at this like we're trying to add to our chances to win the World Series this year, not end up neutral after this deal. Wait, so Jeff, you're teasing us with those contenders. I want to tease our audience here too. So after the break, we find out who is actually seriously in the market for the next Ted Williams. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, Jeff, you had just mentioned that there are four teams that you have identified here as plausible acquirers of the most valuable asset in baseball. So 
who we got? Well, two of them, Pablo, seem at this moment likelier than two others. And we'll start with San Diego Padres. We know A.J. Preller, their general manager, is extraordinarily (sighs) aggressive Mm. is probably the right word when it comes to trades. He sits there almost, almost like Tom Cruise in Minority Report with this screen in front of him where he's just swishing things and swiping them from side to side and and teasing out different trade possibilities. His mind works in a unique and incredible and brilliant way and other general managers think he's a loon (laughs) because all the different iterations of deals that he comes up with, they sometimes don't know how to wrap their heads around them and yet Here he is with a farm system that has C.J. Abrams, one of the best prospects in baseball, with Mackenzie Gore, who's very well-thought-of young left-handed starter who's got supreme stuff. And the, the Padres have such a deep farm system that it makes all the sense in the world for them to try and cash in those chips that they've done a good job of drafting, signing, and developing. And turn them into a superstar. So the Padres, because of their aggressiveness, because of their assets, are the presumptive favorites. But I would not discount the St. Louis Cardinals either. And in the Cardinals, in the way that they manage their team, John Moselock, the president of baseball operations there, it's almost antithetical to how the Padres do it. The Cardinals are extraordinarily disciplined. They're a team that doesn't go out, generally speaking, and spend a lot of money. But We've seen them make a blockbuster trade, uh, a pair of them actually, in in the last couple of years, first going and getting Paul Goldschmidt from the Arizona Diamondbacks and then going and getting Nolan Arenado from the Colorado Rockies. And those two are MVP caliber players and putting Juan Soto in that lineup with them would make them awfully, awfully scary. And the, the great part for the Cardinals is They've got the prospects to do it. Much like the Padres, they have hit on their draft picks in recent years. Jordan Walker, third baseman, a huge man, is a top 10 prospect in baseball. Mason Wynn, who at the Futures game this year from shortstop threw a baseball 101 miles per hour across the diamond. It was a really toolsy guy, and those tools are turning into skills, and they have been unlocked, and he's been fantastic this year. And then you go to the big league level, and whether it's Tyler O'Neill. Dylan Carlson, they've got big league ready talent right now too. So the St. Louis Cardinals make a lot of sense. But Jeff, it's not lost on me that when we're talking about the buyers in baseball, I don't normally think of the Padres and the Cardinals. So the other two teams, are we dealing with like the historic big money spenders or what are we talking about? Who? Let, let's let's just do a little game here, Pablo, since we like doing games on the ESPN Daily we do. Podcast. For better and for worse. Who do you think those two other teams are? Let me just tell you if that if one of those teams is not the New York Yankees, I I I don't really know what to believe anymore. Yeah, well, Santa Claus, I hate to say it, is not real, but the New York Yankees in this situation are because <laughs> they've got a number of reasons to go out and get Juan Soto. Number one, because they want to win a championship for the first time since 2009, and adding one of the best hitters in baseball to an already devastating lineup is a pretty good way to do it. Number two, because they've got the prospects to go out and do it, whether it's Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, 
both of them certainly would be in a deal like this. And, and the depth that the Yankees have, particularly at the lower levels, particularly coming out of Latin America, they are dominant in that space. And because of that, the Yankee system is always replenishing itself year after year and allows them to go out and make a deal like this. And the other, uh, color me shocked here, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Has to be, yeah. I don't think the Dodgers are in quite the same as certainly the Padres, Cardinals, and Yankees. But you can't ever discount the Dodgers because they're just better at putting together a baseball team than every other organization in the game. And granted, they have a built-in advantage, and that advantage is goo gobs of money. <laughs> and this money has allowed them to go out and trade for Mookie Betts and sign him to an extension. This money's allowed them to go out and sign players in the minor leagues that brought them Trey Turner and Max Scherzer in a deadline deal last year. And oh, by the way, they came over from the Washington Nationals. Mm. And so it's clear that Mike Rizzo, the Nationals general manager, and Andrew Friedman, the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, have the ability to execute a blockbuster deal together. But one thing that it doesn't complicate the situation, but I think it informs it, is that these teams aren't necessarily trading for Juan Soto to give him that $500 million, mm. right? Wait, 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 explain that, yeah. You want to go and convince a guy like Juan Soto to stay with you long-term, but it doesn't need to be immediate. This isn't like the Mookie Betts thing where the Dodgers trade for him and then on the eve of the COVID season, they sign him to a $365 million contract extension. Right. Or or or, or the NBA thing where every superstar who wants out, yep. their leverage really is, I'm not going to play for you guys. That's exactly right. And let's say the Dodgers go and trade for Juan Soto. They are perfectly happy to have a player who they believe, and, and this, this number is from another general manager with whom I was speaking. Here, here's how he put it. I would love to get Juan Soto because I know I'm going to be getting 15 wins above replacement for the next two and a half years. And if those wins above replacement are worth between 8 and $10 million a year, I know I'm going to be getting 120 to $150 million minimum in production from this player. Now, granted, Juan Soto is being paid $17 million this year. It looks like he's going to go to about $24, 25000000 in arbitration this offseason. And then in his final arbitration season, Season, he could get a raise to somewhere in the vicinity of $35 million. But man, we're still talking about tens of millions of dollars in marginal value that they would be reaping. And if you can say, I get Juan Soto for his ages 23, 24, and 25 seasons without having to commit to the back end of that 10, 12, 15 year contract and eat all of those bad years that may be there just because aging is undefeated, right. that's something I'll not only sign up for, but I'll give up half a dozen really good prospects for the privilege. But if you're a Nats fan, Jeff, I imagine that even though they're the worst team in baseball, you still want those seasons from Juan Soto for yourself, right? So at this point, the logical question is how irreparable that relationship is between Juan Soto and his agent, Scott Boris, and... Soto's employer. To quote Pete Campbell, 
not great, Bob. <laughs> and listen, I think that Juan Soto was, I, I've gotten to know him fairly well over the last few years. Right. And he's somebody who is a very optimistic and joyous human being. He is, he is not your athlete who is going out and partying all the time, who wants to be social, who wants to be seen, who wants to be known, who has a brand. Juan Soto's brand is uh, he's really good at baseball. And I, I think part of this whole thing to him has been keeping it private and the importance of that because it's kind of embarrassing to be a person who turns down $440 million. That <laughs> That, that, you know, that makes him look like someone he feels like he isn't. That makes him look greedy. But he doesn't see it as he's being greedy. He sees it that he has a unique ability and he should be compensated for that unique ability and there should be no external factors, whether it is the feelings of others from the outside, especially trying to influence that. But the subject of feelings, Jeff, is where another Mad Men quote comes to mind because that's what the money is for, is what Don Draper would tell Juan Soto in terms of feeling badly about the public nature of this dispute now. And so my curiosity looking ahead to the resolution to this dispute is just about when we might see movement here. When are we going to see a possible deal with the deadline looming next week? Well, uh, one executive who's been involved with the talks thinks that we're looking at an August 1st or so, you know, deal space, right? Mm. That, uh, you know, the Nationals have gone to teams and they've said, this is what we want. It is not up for negotiation. And to this point, no team has said yes because the asks have been, as another executive put to me, Exorbitant. Uh, I believe he's. Hold on. Let me pull up my iPad here and oh, yeah. get the exact quote. Let's go to the source material, Jeff Passan. Yes. Okay. Let's pull up notes and <laughs> Soto. And let me scroll here. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to get this wrong. Okay, here it is. Um, it's completely asinine and ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ask at the moment, right? So, and and Pablo, you can't blame the Nationals for that. They're trading a guy who they never thought that they were going to trade, or at least considering trading a guy who they never thought they were going to trade. And because of that, they should be asking for the moon, the sun, the stars, the cosmos. Yeah, yeah. In the end, the question is, will they accept just the moon and the stars. If Mike Rizzo does not have 120% of Juan Soto's value, will 90% be good enough? Yeah, and Jeff, it's worth noting too, right, in all of this, Scott Boris is involved. And Scott Boris is a sort of agent, is my understanding, who will like go and find the James Webb telescope and tell you just how much more there is to this guy mm -hmm. than even the suns and the moons and the stars that are visible. And so where does the Scott Boris thumb on the scale weigh in here in terms of how this may play out? I mean, it weighs heavy. 
You know, Scott Boris is the most successful agent in the history of professional sports. He has done contracts for more money than anybody else. Billions and billions of dollars worth. Scott Boris and Juan Soto, I think, share something. The idea that there should be a baseball player who gets paid half a billion dollars and he is that baseball player. The completely acidine and ridiculous Jeff Passan. Thank you for joining us. Pablo, it is my both asinine and ridiculous pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) I'm Pablo Torre, and this has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.